0: This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together promised land. Our topic today is the promised land, the land that God promised to give to the people of Israel. Often, Father Jeffrey, when you hear the term promised land in today's society, it's used metaphorically. You might even hear um, in sports, right? Oh, the, they, they, they I hired a new coach and he led them to the promised land, right? Whatever that might be, a championship or some sort of big victory. Um, or you might even hear Some people use it almost as a joke, like I moved from here to here, I moved to the promised land or things like that. Um, But in the story of the scriptures, the promised land was a real thing, isn't it? This, this actual land where the actual people of Israel would actually live and rule and have God himself dwell with them in that land. The land is really important. And I think, you know, in our the way, the way that I grew up in, in Canada in the 21st century, land was not as important in my psyche as it might have been for many different nations throughout history. Land is where your family comes from. It's where you're, you're tied to the land. Um, so a lot of that imagery of land, that promised land or the, the land of our ancestors a lot of that imagery in the scriptures actually, I find a little hard to pick out. It's a little invisible because my eyes aren't actually attuned to that imagery because I don't necessarily have that life experience. I hope that makes sense. Father Jeffrey, I'm not sure if you've had an experience like that when it comes to this topic of land.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting um, observation. I think you're quite right. I mean, Canada is a huge land, right? And although you know, there has been competition over bits of it and scarcity is a function anywhere where you have land. I mean, it seems like with the kind of settling of Canada, there was an endless amount of land. And so you're quite right. In, in Compared to, say, the ancient Near East or European history, things like that, uh, it, land didn't seem to be as much of an issue. But how have the, has that turned around just in the last few years, right, with the kind of... Uh, awareness and sensitivity to indigenous concerns, right? That that maybe this vast space that we happily settled and, and, and just kind of moved across, mm-hmm. maybe it had other characteristics to it as well, right? And so, I mean, today you can scarcely go to a civic meeting or, you know, a event where there isn't a land acknowledgement, right? And some sort of recognition that even the land that seemed free and open was maybe, possibly stolen from somebody else and maybe also and this is maybe the more telling thing uh, there is a different kind of relationship with the land right that um, and maybe that will help us to understand a little bit more what's going on with land in the scriptures land mm-hmm. in the story of Israel and so forth that uh, it does play this this kind of wider role in the story of human, beings right and, and and god's purpose for creation and, and so forth and maybe the indigenous sensitivities that we've become a little bit more aware of at least we're trying to over the last few years will kind of inform a little bit our understanding of land uh, in the scriptures that it is ultimately it has everything to do with what god intends for his creation and for his dwelling, you know, with us. And so everything from creation care, concern for the land, the idea that the land pre-exists us and will be there long after us, and maybe our idea of exploiting it or owning it is maybe a little bit backwards. And we need to mm-hmm. kind of recover a little bit more of this wider sense of promised land indeed.
0: When reflecting on this topic of the land, the promised land in the scriptures, the way it's talked about in the scriptures, I was thinking about the fact that like, how, how would I quickly summarize the story of land throughout the scriptures? And then I thought, oh, it doesn't quite end at the end of the scriptures. Like to this day, the land of Israel is a hot political topic right sure. it's it's yeah. uh, the political ramifications of the way that the land is told in the scriptural story are immense like lives are being lost. Like it's a, there's war, there's tension the to, to literally to this day in that land. So I think it's really important to try and get that story right. So no pressure, Father Jeffrey, but you're gonna have to mm-hmm. solve all of these Middle Eastern conflicts here with a proper right. understanding of land.
1: And, and and that conflict isn't just you know Israeli Arab, which of course is the obvious thing that comes to mind, but even within uh the Jewish people it's contested because you know, how that land is to be disposed of and how it is to come into the possession of the people of God, you know, is that political or is that a sign of the messianic age? And so Zionism, the, the belief that, you know, it should be Jews who occupy the land promised to Abraham is not a straightforward thing. You got people even who live in Israel today who, who deny Jews, you know, the, the Haredi, the, the, the Orthodox, um, ultra-Orthodox Jews who will deny the, the legitimacy of the state of Israel because they believe that it should be the Messiah, not some kind of political settlement that, that arranges all of this. So, indeed, it's really complicated, and I'm sure in, you know, half an hour here, we're not going to get very far with this, but let's maybe set out some of the kind of wider scriptural, you know, themes and aspects to, to this story of Promised Land.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me draw it out narratively and, and you can fill in some of those gaps, Father Jeffrey. So, you know, when when you open up the first book of the Bible, at least in the way that it's ordered in our tradition, you have the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter one to 11 is sort of this cosmic history of the world. And then in Genesis 12, we begin with Abraham, the sort of salvation history, as some people have called it. They've got the call of Abraham being the, that beginning. And one of the things that God promises Abraham throughout his life is that I'm gonna I'm going to give you a land not and not just you but all of your descendants like right? they'll be like the stars of the heaven the sands of the sea if you will obey me you will live in this land and you know that's the story of um genesis and exodus you know israel actually goes down to egypt and then they are rescued out of slavery to go back to the land but then they wander in the wilderness and then the uh the torah uh, ends with the israelites on the banks of the jordan river on the on on the basically, on the eve of passing that river into the land, and then, of course, Joshua um, becomes kind of this military leader of the people of Israel and has to conquer Israel so that they can live there again. Um, so maybe let's start there with kind of the call of Abraham and this land. You know, it seems that this land is somehow tied up with, I want to use the word salvation. But I don't necessarily want to bring it with it later Christian connotations of salvation, but uh, maybe proper orientation to God or something like that. That the uh, a proper orientation to God almost necessitates the existence in a particular land. That seems to be the way that it's painted. there. It, it, is, it, am I getting that right, Father?
1: Yeah, it, it's it absolutely is that right, and and I think this is a, a necessary corrective to what Christians. Tend to do generally, which is to spiritualize everything and universalize everything, right? Um, you know, post coming of God Himself in the flesh, inc- incarnate in the Lord Jesus, we see that everything that God promised to Israel is kind of broken wide open, right? And so anything specific becomes universal and all are invited in. And these, you know, all these promises that were kind of down payments become. You know, possible, possibly fulfilled, you know, throughout the whole world. But it's important, I think, that we don't lose sight of the concrete things at the, at the core of that, right? Um, there was this early Christian tendency on, on many levels, you know, whether it was land or whether it was themes like temple, um, you know, kingdom, all these kinds of things to sort of say, well, you know, what you had in, in Israel were shadows, right? And the flesh. Which was completely superseded by a kind of spiritual understanding of it. So Christians move very quickly to almost dismissing the history of Israel sometimes and saying, well, you know, this is like a pattern book, you know, for, for the real reality, which is that there is no land at all. It's, it's just everywhere, right? It's, it's cosmic salvation. And I think there's a dangerous move to make and maybe return to this theme, you know, through this podcast and, and, and subsequent ones. But, we need to ground the fulfillment of things in concrete realities, right? So, uh, you know, we've talked before about things like temple, right, and and tabernacle, and and the worship and sacrifice of Israel. Well, those weren't just patterns; they weren't just simply, you know, the themes that the Israelites misunderstood somehow, and 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 are fulfilled in Jesus and then Christians through their universalism and spiritual interpretation of things get right. And, and I say this very specifically because that's the kind of thing some of the Christians were saying in the second and third centuries, that the Jews had got this all wrong in the first place. They were never actually supposed to sacrifice. There never was actually supposed to be a temple. It was all to be understood spiritually. But Others came along and, and famously St. Augustine um, makes this point abundantly clear that for Christ to have fulfilled these things, they had to have been real in the first place. And there's this continuity of the covenants um, that they're saying the same thing, that indeed in Christ, these things are fulfilled and then made, you know, universal, made open to the whole world. So the promises originally made to Abraham are are indeed carried forward for the blessing of all the nations of the world. But it's not that they were kind of wrong in the first place to be specifically grounded, and I use that term advisedly here, in real concrete history. So for there to have been sacrifice, there had to have been a real temple. For there to have been a real temple, there had to have been a city in which that temple was built. For there to have been that city, there had to have been a land in which God carved out for his people right so these things are real as you said there actually was you know this but it's the sort of thing that early christians doubted and they wondered whether you know they shouldn't have been spiritualized from the get-go and you no know, the i think the more helpful church fathers come along and, and tell us and i think our liturgy largely reflects this understanding that these are concrete realities the land it is, it, from the very beginning of God's promise to, to Abram, it's renamed Abraham. He's called out from amongst the Chaldeans, um, although that is a little bit anachronistic, but it's the area the Chaldeans will eventually be in. And he's called and come, and he's shown a place. And he says, obviously, you know, through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. and Your descendants will be, you know, more numerous than the stars in heaven and the sand on the, the seashore. But here's the other thing. Here is this land. And in this land, there will be things that are going to happen that will be ultimately, again, for the blessing of all of those nations. And the whole story then of Israel unfolds in that land. And whether they are capable of, of living within that land with God or not will be the question whether they're capable of doing that with shalom with the peace that reflects the true life of God or not will be the question whether they can do that with faithfulness or whether they indeed just become like any of the other nations that's the constant temptation they those who are called out to be the light of God to all the nations are always tempted to go back. Right. And to, to be just like all the others. And so, you know, the, the the dominant theme is, will they stay in the land? Will they possess that land? Will they, will they reflect God's glory from the midst of that land through temple and sacrifice and, and the worship of the one true God, or will indeed that land just simply become like any other land. And of course, Exile, you know, from that land becomes a big theme. And the return, you know, to that land, the the kind of, you know, ending theme really, uh, of the, of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and in fact, it's really interesting, um, in the Tanakh, the, the Jewish ordering of the books of, of what we call the old Testament. Um, it's called Tanakh in, in Judaism, because of course it's the, the Torah, uh, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim. So the, the law, the prophets and the writings, but the very last book of the uh ordering in the Tanakh is Chronicles. So you get Second Chronicles, which ends with this statement of you know, it's it's the deliverance of of some of the Judites from Babylon during that exile when that land had been taken away from them, right? And and, and Cyrus was depicted in, in Isaiah as, as a Messiah figure, right? Um and uh so th- Thus says the king of uh, Cyrus of Persia, it says at the very end of Chronicles, to the, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Let any of those among you who are his people, may the Lord their God be with them. Go up, return. This theme of return to the land becomes the dominant theme at the end of the whole of the Jewish scriptures, right? And so it's interesting that, you know, that ultimately will be the determining thing in the mind of, of any Jew as to whether the land is possessed, whether God is there, whether we are there with God. And so, uh, by contradistinction, of course, in, in the, you know, in the ordering of the You could call it the first canon, the Hebrew canon of scriptures that that Christians have. It ends with Malachi, which, of course, ends with... The, the expectation of the day of the Lord and the coming of Elijah before you know God Himself comes. So there is got two different ideas ultimately about what salvation is all about for the for the Jews. It's return to the land, having been in exile, and that will fulfill God's promises. Whereas for for Christians, it's it's this expectation of kind of the the full day of the Lord and you know the coming of Elijah as the precursor to the Messiah Himself, to God Himself coming and and. Ultimately, fulfilling you know those promises. So two aspects of fulfillment, two aspects is, uh, of of answering what God originally promises Abraham. But the the Jewish understanding really rests with this possession of the land. And as I say, for, as from a Christian point of view, we too often gloss over that. We pass over that and think, oh, that's just maybe a stepping stone, or even just a shadow, a misunderstood um, kind of concrete uh manifestation of what ultimately god intends to do which is to dwell with his people everywhere which is true but let's not forget that in order for that fulfillment to take place you need the land, you need what happens in the land, you need God's life reflected in faithful people, offering him uh the the, the kind of response to his covenant love in order that that can then be shared, you know, with all of the nations. So there's, there's a kind of royal path here to be trod, right, between an extreme thing that says it's all about the land and only that land and nothing else, which I don't think anybody suggests, but, you know, that that could be, You know, a possible uh, exaggeration on one side, but on the other hand, that says the land isn't important. It was always just about the cosmic reality of salvation, right? Somehow in the, we need to kind of tread that, that middle path of saying, this is the down payment the, the, the literal parcel of territory, which is the sign that God's promises are going forward for all of creation.
0: The metaphor that comes to mind when it comes to a lot of these aspects of the scriptures before the time of Christ are the metaphor of ing- ingredients, right? Like this idea of the land is an ingredient, but then when Christ comes, that ingredient is added with the other ingredients to, cr- to make a new dish, right? And then the ingredient still exists. It's still in there, but it's part of a larger picture. And so I guess we could talk about what happens when Christ comes onto the scene, right? Jesus of Nazareth comes onto the scene and he inherits this picture of the land. There's this uh, there's this story though that comes to mind. Like Jesus often is very critical of his own people, you know, and is very critical of his own people's vision of their own story as well. And there's one part where he's very frustrated with some of these Jewish towns, right? And he basically curses these Jewish towns. And then he actually says that, you know, for these, there's these Gentile towns that are further north that are, you know, well known to be bad places. And he says it's going to be more tolerable for them than it will be for you in the day of judgment, right? And he's kind of pointing to non-Jewish towns as having a greater blessing than those of Jewish towns in Israel. And I'm wondering... When Jesus comes onto the scene, he inherits the story of land and this connection with God, but he he can be quite critical of that as well how do we How do we understand where Jesus is coming from when it comes to this topic? and I you know that's a huge question. I understand that, but uh, nonetheless i'm going to throw it your way
1: Sure. I mean, everything you say, you know, is quite right. But he, I mean, here's some of the other parameters to, to, to bear in mind. In Jesus's own earthly ministry, he scarcely steps outside of what was at the time, you know, Jewish uh, inhabited land. Right. Um, I mean, the examples are, are kind of um famous when he does. I mean, at one point he crosses the Sea of Galilee and ends up in this land that gets three different names depending on the, the texts and the versions of of the, the Gospels that you're looking at, but it's the Gergesenes, the Gadarenes, um, you know, uh, or, or the Gerasenes. Um, and there's a lot of dispute in the in the manuscript tradition over which that is. But in any case, it's the Decapolis. It's the, the kind of Gentile uh, area. You know, today it's the Golan, heights, you know, which is, you know, to, to name a a part of the world that is under dispute, Um, you know, so, but partly Syria, partly Israel, uh, at least since 1967, Um, you know, so Jesus steps there and famously confronts the, the demoniac or pair of demoniacs and throws the, the, the legion, the Roman, um, you know, designated, uh, soldiers, uh, that are the demons into the, the pigs and they go hurtling off the cliff. So that was a famous example. Then there's the, the going to the region of Tyre and Sidon on, on the coast, right, of, of Phoenicia and meeting the syro you know, woman. Um, and in both cases, it's interesting because, um, there's almost like a a forcing of Jesus's hand. You know, we don't know why he went across the Sea of Galilee into that, the, 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 the Decapolis, um, uh, right after the storm. You know, I wonder whether the, the sailboat was, you know, partly um, damaged and had to just pull into the nearest port and they weren't intending to go there initially. Who knows? Um, but in both cases, the. the Through the miracle that is, you know, carried out, uh, there's like a forcing of Jesus' hand to do the thing ahead of time, ahead of schedule, right? Because in the Gospels, Jesus mentions the synoptics anyway, right, Um, that, you know, he is there to come and bring the, the message of the kingdom of God to the people of Israel. He says to the apostles when he sends them out, do not go, you know, to the Gentiles, right? Not yet, that will come, you know, at the end after the resurrection and, and so forth. But, but whether the demoniac himself amidst the Gergesenes or, or what have you, uh, was a, a gentile or not, uh, there's maybe some suggestion he himself was was an Israelite. The the whole story seems like a midrash on Isaiah, where that the people of Israel amidst the Gentiles are seen to be living among tombs and eating the flesh of pigs. Right, so there's a kind of prophetic image for the, the 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 captivity of Israel who don't possess their own land. Right, so he's a, a living image of of what Israel is experiencing. So maybe he's Israel captive to all of that. But in any case, the townspeople themselves who keep pigs are clearly Gentiles, right? And so he's told at the end of that to go and preach to them what uh, God has done. And of course, he goes and says what Jesus has done, which is a really interesting, um, choice of, of words there and, and, and links Jesus directly to, to God in, in a, a new way there. But in any case, he's a, before Paul, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And, and sim, similarly, the Syrophoenician woman who, who forces Jesus's hand with the kind of clever, you know, back and forth around that, you know, Jesus has stepped looks like for a holiday right he's been hard pressed he goes he wants to go somewhere where nobody knows him where he can you know he's going to the beach a uh, nice little break um but the syrophoenician woman chases him and they pause to saying you know go away you know can you tell this woman you know she's annoying us we're here we want to ha- <laughs> we came for a break and and here she is just hassling us right and there's this dialogue you know where you know uh, jesus says you know uh, about feeding you know the the, the dogs right A kind of derogatory comment about um you know the Gentiles people who are not of of Israel and and she fires back that well even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from from the table um and and so he he proleptically you know ahead of time ahead of schedule you know heals um her daughter and and acts you know amid outside of the the, the the kind of land of Israel, but apart from that, I mean, Jesus's ministry—whether it's his prophetic ministry, his healing ministry, his his prophetic acts, his miracles—all of these things are taking place within the narrow bands, uh, the boundaries of of the land that of his people, right? And he makes it very clear until the very end, after his resurrection, where he says, "You know, starting here." In Jerusalem, right? And then in Samaria and Galilee and to all the ends of the earth, go now and preach repentance, you know, for, for, for all. But it, the land itself is a, is a kind of base, a foundation for even this, you know, this work of salvation for, for the whole world. And so again, I think it's important for us not to lose sight of, of that. And you get these kind of just breaking in uh, of the, the universal message of this idea that now what was promised to Abraham, that this is for the, all the nations, that this is going to take place. But not a lot of it. You know, there's the exceptions that prove the rule, you know, within Jesus's own you know lifetime uh, in his earthly ministry. But in any case... It's happening, Right. This is where it's beginning to go out from that. But it proves the point that the land itself, you know, that, that Jesus saves the whole world and people from all times and all places by kind of traveling a tiny territory, you know, with a few people. Um, it's it's a, it, it's the particularity, the specificity, the concreteness of that that is so important that we mustn't lose sight of even after we proclaim him. Lord of heaven and earth, right? All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is the one who ultimately stands and, and challenges, you know, Caesar and all the powers, you know, of this world. And therefore, you know, is the, the the Lord of all the nations. But it starts here. It starts as the King of Israel, God himself, who comes and visits his people and inhabits and and heals this land. Now, one of the things that, also has to be uh, borne in in, in mind here is that it's not just, you know, the the demoniac or the Syrophoenician woman that are getting Jesus to act uh, kind of ahead of time. The whole of what is happening around land is happening a little bit ahead of time in the sense that, you know, Jewish expectation was that they indeed on in the messianic age would come to possess all of the land promised to Abraham, which is actually kind of a vast territory. It goes from the Euphrates all the way to Egypt. You know, it's it's much bigger than than the 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 kind of um, the borders of Israel that we think of. Um, but in any case, that would be the sign of the Messianic age. Well, of course, in the. Coming of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, in His death and resurrection, we're seeing like the first stage of the Messianic age, and it's only for those who have eyes of faith who can perceive that there is still the fulfillment to come. So, like we get this overlap of the ages, we've talked about this many times, and that was the unexpected, you know, thing. And so, in some ways, the demoniac, in, you know, in in amongst the Gerasenes or the Syrophoenician woman. You know, pr- the kind of forcing of this kind of ahead of time scheduling of everything is a, it's a kind of symbol of what's happening overall in the Gospels in with the coming of of the Lord Jesus, that with his one resurrection, there is the first fruits of the resurrection of all. And there is now a Lord of heaven and earth. And a possession of the land that is visible only for those who have the eyes of faith, those who have been born into the life of the age to come. Uh, Because, of course, none of the things that were expected of the Messianic age have fully taken place, right? Where where is that land of, of God dwelling with his people in peace, where all the powers of the world have been overturned, where there is shalom, where there is justice, where every tear has been wiped away, and so forth. It's still the, the future expectation in its fulfillment, right? Yeah. So I think that's the, the other feature here, right? And so we we agree with the Jews who say, hang on a minute, this can't be the fullness of the messianic age, like, you know, what about plagues? What about poverty? What about warfare? What about oppression and so forth? And what about the land? Right. And so to some extent, there's a that's the the spiritual or the, the metaphorical understanding that early Christianity brings, knowing that there's a first fruits that is that has taken place in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus that is yet to be fulfilled in terms of its, you know, outpouring on the whole of the world it's it's fulfillment throughout every corner of the world so again this concrete idea of the one land where there's the one temple the one king at the heart of, of everything that has yet to to kind of be manifested throughout the whole of uh, of creation it, that's that call of abraham that we are still looking to be completely fulfilled in the fullness of the life of the age to come
0: i have one more question before we end and that's We Christians today, so I live in Canada, I live in Hamilton, Ontario. I'm a Christian here. Am I in the promised land? Yes and no, or no and yes. (laughs)
1: Mm. Um, You know, yes in the sense that as a baptized follower of the Messiah Jesus, um, the Messiah King, God himself who has come to fulfill the promises that he made in creation and to Abraham and through the covenants and so forth, insofar as being a member already of the life of the age to come, you know that every part of the world from one end to the other of the universe, as it says, you know, in our liturgy, you know, belongs to God and is part of the kingdom of God. And we see that and we perceive that we experience that when we have the divine liturgy. Nevertheless, we also know that this has yet to be fully, you know, carried out and, and manifested, you know, everywhere. And so to that extent, you know, there remain special places, right? And they, and it begins with Jerusalem and it begins with the land of Israel. And it's also, you know, every other place that we kind of carve out. As a down payment or first fruits of that fulfillment, right? So that's why we, we repair now to temples where the divine liturgy is celebrated. Not because that's a holy huddle and we circle the wagons and, and that's where God only is. No, but because that's the where it starts and where from there it pours out into all the world. And eventually those special places will be done away with right? So in the same way that that the land of Israel will become everything, and therefore not a specific place, Jerusalem, Zion, so too are churches, right? The liturgy of the church is the temporary thing. The liturgy of the whole world, the whole cosmos is the permanent reality. And we're rehearsing, we're practicing in these places, right? And so in some ways, our understanding of land and promised land is tied up with our understanding of what a church building is what a temple is where the liturgy is celebrated because that too is you know it's it's contingent and temporary and and only until all things are fulfilled
0: thanks for listening I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.